Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Trax Power Sports. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Navidomskis has uh, stepped away for a minute. He's actually getting in the car and headed up to do some skiing today, part of that retirement thing. <laughs> It'll calm down after a while. He's only in his first week, but in the meantime, he's going to kind of be tough to catch up to. Uh, so just me here. Uh, he'll come back and uh, help us with fish bites here in just a minute. We're going to talk for the next few minutes about the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo that's coming to the Salt Palace Convention Center next weekend, February 2nd through the 5th. And uh, John Bear is joining us to help us do that. He's uh, the auctioneer. And uh, I guess you're sort of the MC of all of the events there, John? Well, uh, they have a few MCs that come in for the night events. Uh, my buddy Mike Lauder is going to be the MC Friday night. And Jana Waller of Skullbound TV is going to be the official MC Saturday night. But I am the guy that you usually hear making all the announcements and talking in the hall on the microphone and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, I get the, uh, I get plenty of mic time up there for sure. <laughs> Let me brag you up for just a minute here because I'm told that you helped raise well over $125 million for wildlife conservation and hunter advocacy issues. And a part of that number includes almost $10 million raised just last year at this expo. Yeah, we had a great, great uh, expo last year. I mean, it was, you know, we broke records every way you could break them with attendance and what we brought in on the permits that we sold. You know, it was just a great expo and we're hoping to, you know, have a repeat of that this year. I'm lucky enough to be able to stand up in front of everybody and have a good time selling those permits and doing the auctions and i've been doing that for quite a few years now and it's yeah. a lot of fun i think i told it's you when you joined me last year i've had a couple of stints at this of uh, being an auctioneer one on the smaller scale was just uh, my son's basketball team at the high school where i was trying to squeeze more money out of the uh, parents that were already, already broke from putting their kids on the team, uh, which was not a fun experience for me. Uh, the other one was working with uh, Mitt Romney and, and his family on a fundraising event that they had. It's tough to ask for large amounts of money. Uh, do you ever get used to it? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, people are always free to tell you no. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, I always kind of joke with them before the – 
auction gets started that I'm not responsible for their poor financial decisions. But <laughs> uh, you know, it all goes to a good cause. So it does. It's you know, it's a it's a lot of fun, and I do a lot of auctions too for like the 4-H and the FFA and the basketball and the wrestling teams, and I really enjoy all that. This one's you know the expos on a whole nother scale as far as the number of people in attendance. We'll have almost two thousand people stuffed in that ballroom Friday and Saturday night. And, you know, we have people from all over the world come to bid on these permits and help us raise money for conservation. It's a pretty exciting time. Yeah, and that's what we want to emphasize is that the money does go for conservation projects and issues. How much of that stays in Utah, do you know? The permits that we sell, like the Antelope Island permit, you know, all that money goes back out to Antelope Island to help with whatever kind of things they have going on out there. They've had some fires out there a few years ago and they reseeded that, you know, the deer permits that we sell the statewide deer permit, 90% of that money is earmarked and has projects ready to go before we sell the permits. So yeah, it's, it's, 90% of it's earmarked, 10% of it goes back to the organization that's uh, in charge of selling the permit, whether it's SFW or Mule Deer Foundation or the Utah Wild Sheep, whoever owns the permit or is uh, given the bid on the permit. And then we sell it, they get to keep 10% of that, and then they have their own projects they're working on with the division that they can use that money for as well. We've had frank conversations about this in the past, and I know you hear some of the same things I do, the pushback on uh, the money involved when it comes to some of these hunts. And uh, that's why we emphasize the conservation side of this. But uh, the, the great part about the Expo is that some of these permits that would be totally out of reach for some people actually become in reach with this idea of just putting $5 for an application in. Yeah, we have 200 of the you know, really good permits in the state that we put up. There's 200 of them. You can apply. It costs you $5 per application. And, you know, you can go in there. You can apply for one permit and spend 5 bucks, or you can apply for all of them. And, uh, you know, of course, your odds go up the more you apply for if you apply for all of them. But you can, uh, you know, you can have some pretty good luck, I I know a lot of a lot of guys that have drawn some permits that otherwise, you know, that they would never have gotten if they had just applied during the the uh, general draw. And it's pretty exciting, you know. A week after they do the do the week after the expo, they get together at the Division of Wildlife. If anybody wonders how that drawing goes or has any questions about it, you can go down there and watch the computer kick out the forms and see how it's all done and oversee it the state has people down there i believe from the attorney general's office and the purchasing office and the division of wildlife and everybody that's involved overseeing the drawing yeah you mentioned it's pretty fun to see those names come out you mentioned uh, Jana waller as uh, the master of ceremonies for saturday night a friend of yours i noticed some of the other speakers uh congressman blake moore is going to be uh, speaking i think governor uh, cox is too right Governor Cox is going to be there, and we've recently lined up Jana through her TV show. She's got some real great connections to the military community and the veteran community, and she was able to line up Clint Romache, 
who is a Medal of Honor recipient who is going to be speaking Friday night. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm, uh, I'm as excited to talk to Clint and, you know, shake his hand and hear his story as anything that week. You know, we have, I think we just lined up uh, Burgess Owens, who's going to be there Friday night as well and, and uh, have a little part in the program and, mm. Yeah, the, it's it's fun. It's it's a big thing for Utah. We're grateful that our you know local legislators and our governor and our politicians realize what a big thing it is, and that they come out and rub shoulders with the hunters and get to know the sportsmen and sportswomen of the country and of Utah, and will be part of it with us. Yeah, look, fifty to sixty thousand hunters go through there on a three. Uh, or during the event from uh, the 2nd through the 5th. Here's the other thing I've really appreciated over the last few years, and that is the involvement of the ladies. Uh, there is a lot. I mean, Jan is obviously going to be uh, emceeing uh, that on Saturday, but there are a lot of events to encourage women hunters to be out there as well. Oh, yeah. We have Friday, I believe right around noon, 11, noon, starts sometime in there. They have a banquet just for the ladies, the ladies' luncheon. And I tell you, it's uh, it's a party. You get all those girls together and <laughs> wearing big hats. And uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, they wear you know they wear their big hats. They wear their they have a uh, different theme every year. This year, it's something to do with the red. Everybody's supposed to wear red. Yeah, it's always I tell you, it's always a party. Those girls, they know how to they know how to do it, <laughs> and they always have also throughout the expo. They'll have seminars about for women that want to get into hunting and and uh, how to go about that you know in the in the hunting community the largest growing uh part of the hunting community is the women the yeah. ladies oh, they're, yeah. they're growing like crazy they're really getting into it and we'd love to see it yeah uh and this guy is going to be uh, performing on saturday night as well i want to see if anybody recognizes Adam's the voice here got a highway that runs out <laughs> east of Ely. Oh, uh, yeah. Tumbleweeds and wind can be a trial. Now, the one and only Ned Ledoux. Yeah, now country fans here will say, not, that's not Ned, that's got to be Dad Chris. Uh, we lost Chris Ledoux uh, at a young age, unfortunately, but I spent 10 years of my radio career in country music working with uh, the likes of uh, Country Music Hall of Fame uh, country Joe Flint, who was great oh, yeah. friends with Chris Ledoux. And uh, Chris, I don't know that he has had a bigger audience, a bigger following than he had here in Salt Lake City. I mean, bigger than a lot of even the big Nashville stars. And Ned sounds a lot like his daddy. He does. He sounds a lot like him. You know, he's, he. Uh, I think he still plays with some of the band members that played for Chris. I think Ned played in Chris's band as well. Yeah. And, yeah, he was, Chris was legendary. I mean, you want to talk about a about a guy that knew how to throw a party and put on a concert. <laughs> you go to a Chris Ledoux party and or a Chris Ledoux concert, and it was a good time. Let me tell you, what, the same way. Let me tell you one of my favorite memories, uh, and this goes back a while. We're out of time, but I'll squeeze it in. Um, my first experience with Chris Ledoux also happened to be the first experience for uh, Garth Brooks with Chris Ledoux. <laughs> before, oh, yeah. before Garth Brooks was anybody... Uh, we put on a, a concert over at the old Symphony Hall, and Garth opened the show for Chris Ledoux. That'll give you some idea. And Garth was standing backstage while Chris Ledoux was running around, swinging on ropes and jumping off the drum set, and uh, a light bulb went on with Garth Brooks. And I think, 
sort of uh, led him down the path of the uh, kind of showman he was going to be, if that tells you anything. Oh, yeah, and then Garth, in, you know, in his song about uh, much too young to feel this damn old, talked about a worn-out tape of Chris Ledoux, yep. and when Garth got, got big, that really helped Chris's yep. career yep. out, too, really launched that's, him. That's where that came from. All right, so the event is coming up at the Salt Palace Convention Center. It's the 2nd through the 5th. If you want more information, just go to huntexpo.com. John Bear, thanks as always. Thanks for having me. We'll uh, take another break and come back, do a little road tripping with the boys. Actually, I think it's just Bob Grove joining us when we come back next. I said, man, it's been a pleasure. Your words have been a treasure. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. He may have more energy, but not a better voice. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just talking about the new and improved Navadomsky. I'm a member of Singers Impaired. <laughs> and, and you know you're a member whenever you start singing and everybody else stops. <laughs> yes, we'd like to hear you sing solo. Solo, we cannot <laughs> hear you. Nobody can hear me, yeah. <laughs> All right, you promised me some fish bites. What you got? Well, I'm going to talk about the spawn, okay? I think every single angler out there needs to know about the spawn. Um, In fly fishing vernacular or fishing vernacular in general, they call it the run. You know, in in hunting, they call it the rut. But in um, fishing, we say the run because the fish move. They move out, and they go to their spawning reds, R-E-D-D-S, and everyone is different. And I know anglers who fish with salmon eggs or uh, power bait – which, by the way, is roe, which is fish eggs. They don't know that's what they're fishing. They go, sometimes green works, sometimes orange works, you know. Yeah. You, and what you got to know is what's spawning. And the fish are far more active in this period, and I have a lot of theories as to why. It isn't caloric intake. For example, sockeyes consume their whole digestive system as energy to get where they need to be. But why do they hit the fly? Because it's in their way. But... There is also the Darwin effect, which means that males eat other roe to eliminate the opposition in trying to get their gene pool going into the further generation. Ah. Yeah. So, look, fish eat roe for many reasons, that being one of them, but the biggest reason is the protein. It's just great calories, and they love it. 
if you have the right color. Okay, so I decided over the next month I'm going to talk about each fish individually, their whole life cycles, their whole spawning cycles, their tendencies, and all of that. But today I'm just going to overview it a little bit. Let's talk rainbows. Rainbows spawn in the spring. Now, I used to think it's because the rivers were swollen and they could access the reds. But then when we traded them to, we actually gave them to New Zealand in uh, 1883, they spawn in the fall down there because they got they, that's the way they did it here. And the rivers are low there, but that's when they still go. Now, there is such a thing as a fall spawn. We have two strains in Utah. Chalk Creek has a strain, and one of the fingers – the hands fork of the green has a strain. But other than that, rainbows spawn in the spring, and uh, that's when they head up. Now, browns are fall spawners. Okay, browns spawn, they used to spawn in October, but with our temps, the way they've changed over the last decade, they're now spawning in November and even into December, hmm. at least at our latitude. Is that temperatures? Is it? Uh, yeah, I think that's the key. I think temperatures send them into the mood. But, yeah, I've been watching those fish spawn for my whole life, and I've noticed the transition. It's further in the year now. Okay. Okay, and then whitefish are spawning in about a week and a half. They'll start. That's a winter spawn fish. Let's talk about bass, which we don't talk enough about. Got a whole lot of buddies that are bass fishermen now, and they spawn in May. I mean, May, flat out May. It's definitely late March, all of May. And, by the way, that's when you want to fish for bass. Because those females put on an extra 10 pounds. I mean, the world record is 25 pounds, of course, caught in May. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, all the way down in those records are all May because of the belly gets so large, those bucket mouth bass, and that female gets huge during that rut. All right, so what you've got is cutthroats. Cutthroats, um, this is you know the Bonneville cut, but all cuts. They spawn right after ice off, so 1st of June, okay? Mm-hmm. And so they wake up from dormancy and spawn and then spend the rest of the summer trying to get the calories to do the same thing the following year. However, brookies spawn in the fall. So they wake up, they're voracious feeders. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe the calories those animals consume. And then they spawn when their colors come on, and it's usually late September. All right. Okay? Yeah. It, it, this is just, I'll tell you what I love about this. It is uh, a little sampling of what you get when you sit down in the classroom for these uh, uh, fly tying or the uh, uh, fly fishing classes that you talk so much about. And uh, the next one is already up and running. So in the weeks and months ahead, if I can just find you and squeeze in some time in between all of your activities uh, in retirement, we'll look forward to it. How many students did you say you had in class this week? Uh, so I, well, I, I packed it because this is my last one, and everybody wanted I put 75 in there. Wow. All right. Uh, and I know they're all uh, excited. Tell you what, uh, go ahead and load up the car. You and Gail head out, and uh, we'll check back with you coming up here in uh, just a few minutes, all right? Perfect. All right. Uh, Navidovsky is helping us out. That'll do it for Fish Bites, and we've got news at the top of the hour, and then we'll talk more fishing. Look forward to it. Randy Opplinger will join us next. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. 
I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.